0: Good evening everybody and welcome to Charters Towers Christian Outreach Centre. I feel that you really, really feel at home and uh, we also welcome those on our podcast and I trust that you're going to feel a great release in the spirit tonight as you feel the Word of God uh, and apply the Word of God to our lives and today is the day of salvation and that Greek word for salvation is sozo and it means spirit, soul and body and uh, God wants us to be more than conquerors in all these three areas of our life, spirit, soul and body. It's wonderful that we're born again, but God is looking forward to us being conquerors in every area of our life. And uh, within, within each of us, there is a divine destiny and that it, uh, I suppose it officially began the moment when we repented of our sin and asked Jesus to be Lord and Saviour of our lives. We know that He predestined us, but to us it was an important day when we gave and made Jesus the Lord and Savior of our lives. In the ongoing work of sanctification, which is a big word meaning cleaning up of our lives with the leading and empowering of the Holy Ghost. And uh, we know we became at that moment a new creation in Christ Jesus, and we are now a work in progress. And we are a work in progress till the day that the Lord brings us home none of us have arrived amen if you're sitting here and you're breathing there is an w- ongoing work of God by the Holy Ghost in our lives in Romans eight thirty five, it says who shall separate us from the love of Christ and I'm talking about being a success in life a success in the spirit realm in the natural realm, realm but life happens shall tribulation or distress or persecution famine nakedness peril or sword I'm short-cutting all those But yet in the midst of life, we are called to overcome and to flourish and to prosper. And I recall in the last seven letters in the book of Revelation, it says, to he who overcomes is the last word to each of those things. And in the last word, in the last letter to the seventh church, it also adds, Jesus speaking, as I also overcame. Amen? And so, uh, so in the midst of life, we're called to be overcomers to flourish and to prosper Romans eight thirty seven. it says and directly after that in yet in all these things in the midst of the distress the persecution the famine the nakedness and the peril and the sword yet in all these things it says we are more than conquerors not just conquerors but more than conquerors through him who loved us don't you love that verse more than a conqueror and Jesus said in Luke nineteen thirteen, he says, occupy or do business till I come. If God was on our case and in God is within us, the hope of glory, do you think we should just be hanging on to dig on, by our fingernails to life? Or he says, to do, do business till I come, do you think that God would want us to have a successful business? He does, doesn't he? And uh Paul, that great apostle to the Gentiles, said in Romans five seventeen, to reign as kings in the realm of life. I love that version one of the old versions, to reign as a king in the realm of life. And it sort of contradicts, really, in Proverbs, O worm that I am. And a lot of people say, and they start their prayers, O Lord, O worm that I am. And the fact is, you were a worm before you came to Christ but after you came to Christ, you're seated with Him at the right hand of the Father, amen, and you really no longer approach God in that way, but you approach in the status that we are seated with Him. And so, um, Jesus uh, 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 said, Jesus came that you would have life and that you would have it more abundantly. And that's okay, an old mindset when I was raised in traditional, very traditional Christianity was like, There was a poor box at the back of the church, and somehow you were more holy the poorer you were. And uh, really, that's not a great concept. Uh, Deuteronomy 8.18 818 talks about, uh, remember, it is the Lord your God who gave you the ability to get wealth. I'm not talking about finance tonight, but it talks about uh, an abundant living. So, but succeeding in all realms of life and fulfilling what God desires for us still requires it still requires passion, it still requires dedication, still requires us seeking God and uh, God's calling upon our lives, whether it be with family, with business, within church, whether he's spiritual calling upon your life, it still doesn't require a tenacity or an intentionality, it just doesn't happen by itself and and so that there is uh, a work to do and uh, somehow we direct our lives to doing what God calls us to do. So, I'd like to go uh, uh, initially now to Luke nine fifty-seven uh, to 62, and I'll read a couple of verses here, and the footnote there is the cost of discipleship, but really it, you could apply it to all of other, others' life's endeavors. And so, uh, Jesus is uh, on the gospel trail here, And now it happened as they journeyed on the road that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. Now there's somebody who basically hasn't counted the cost. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. It's an extraordinary response. But it talks about there is a cost to discipleship. And sometimes when you're following Jesus to the outermost and to the uttermost, You don't have somewhere to lay your head. And uh, then he said to another, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. So we're talking about three candidates here, one, two, and three. Jesus said to him, let the buried bury their own dead, but you go and preach the kingdom of God. And then another also said, this is candidate number three. And also he said, Lord, I will follow you. But first, let me go and bid them farewell who are at my house. Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of heaven. Oh, that sounds a bit brutal, doesn't it? But Jesus answered to all the three, was in number one, it was considering the cost, considering uh, whatever God has called you to do in business, in life, in marriage, consider the cost. Uh, The second one, there is loyalty to Christ takes precedence over all things. Precedence. He is preeminent in your marriage. But I have noticed that if I put Christ first in my marriage, I will be the best husband the world could ever have. That's true, isn't it? People say, oh, well, shouldn't you put your wife first in marriage? No, but Jesus said very, very plainly that he is, his loyalty to him takes precedence overall. As a father, if I place Christ first in my life, I will be the best father to my children that the world could ever have and so and in addition to that there is number three There, candidate number three and he says no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God and so Jesus is saying here don't look back don't look back and so and I think somehow uh, to apply a do or die attitude with cutting off the things of the past not looking back and looking forward would be one of the greatest things you can you do In succeeding in any of those life's callings. So that first one was an emotional enthusiasm without counting the material cost and foregoing of possible life's conveniences and follows Christ. And um, so um, I'd like to uh, uh, now consider um, uh, not looking back by using an illustration from history, a couple of illustrations from history of not looking back and taking it to the extreme but excelling in great conquest and I'd like to use the the man named Hernan Cortes and he was one of the Spanish conquistadors or conquerors in the 1500s and uh, he was going to South America and uh, to the borders of what is now Mexico and for 600 years that Aztec empire had a uh, a world-renowned amount of gold that nobody could acquire. And uh, when the Spanish heard about it, they wanted to get their hands on it. And so, um, and so he uh, approached the, uh, the Mexican, uh, uh, came by boat with uh, 11 boats, 11 ships, I should say. He came with 11 ships, 13 horses, uh, 553 soldiers, and 110 soldiers. So he's just over 600 odd men and to take a a, a a nation of over five million people and you think can that be done well you have to remember that when uh, william the conqueror marched on london he only had about six or seven thousand men to take the whole nation after the battle of hastings in 1066 but you see the odds here with those numbers there were stacked against him Hernan uh, cortez by a ratio of some 7,541 to 1. So they're pretty slim odds, aren't they? And yet, this man had, did conquer that nation. Two previous expeditions in over 600 years, countless other uh, tribes and so forth in the South American continent could not overcome the Aztecs at this time. Yet, Cortez conquered much of the South American continent. But how did he do it? How did he do it? With what sort of zeal or commitment could he have ever done that? Horrendous. Uh, tropical, uh, uh, tropical landscape, having to cross over waters and marshlands into areas that they'd not even been before and to overcome. It's astounding odds, astounding odds. And uh, he was hearing that his leaders were intent on boarding one of the ships or a couple of the ships and actually going and sailing back to Cuba because they saw that the odds were too distant and too remote for any of them to even get out of, the, of there alive. And, um, but Cortez said three words which changed everything, and he said, burn the ships. Burning the ships was their only way of escape, their only way of returning back to Cuba to safety. It was their only way, if there was any plan B, if things went bad, he said burn the ships and burn them, they did, they burnt them all bar one to the, to, the, uh, to, the, to the watermark and so there was no point of return for that army, there was no point of return, there was no middle road or way, there was no turning back, there was no crossing the Rubicon, another term, there was a Rubicon River in the time of the Roman Empire on the northern side of Italy and it was a and it was a, a command that no Roman uh, general was to ever bring his legions across the Rubicon River. And to cross, or to bring, for a Roman general to bring his legions across the Rubicon River was considered an act of treason, and it was do or die because his intent was to take the crown. But there was a man who took his legions across the Rubicon. He brought his legions there from Gaul, which is modern-day France, into the northern part of Italy, crossed the Rubicon River and intent on taking the ground, and we know him today as Julius Caesar. It was a do-or-die thing that he did. He crossed the point of no return. Burning the ships was the point of no return. Burning the bridge, sometimes people call it, there is a line in the sand and when crossed over, I believe that Jesus himself is the line in the sand in this modern world. When Jesus bent down and drew a line in the sand, he is the line in the sand. And so plan B, there's another one I would call burn burn the plough and do it now, do or die, a no escape option or survival will depend on your success. Who who works by these sort of mentalities these days you know what there are people who do and I believe the church of the living God needs to begin to adopt again some of these principles radical yes they are but eliminating retreat is an option the cross before me the world behind me no turning back no turning back Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing if everybody here who ever responded to an altar call and gave their life to Jesus would not look again back to the world, but they burned their ships and marched on for Jesus? Wouldn't that be a glorious thing? Wouldn't the church be a transformed body? As a young Christian, I began to understand the concept of a consecrated life, and I did so very, very early. In fact, even before I stepped into a church, I stopped many, many of the visible things in life, I stopped drinking, I stopped smoking, I stopped doing a whole heap of things before, there was, God was already doing a work in my life and uh, I was only a Christian about 12 months I suppose and I realised that much of my music, I love my music and I used to play guitar in the pub and everything with my brother, I was no singer but I could play a bit of rhythm guitar and we had a good time. I think they paid us way back then, $10 an hour and as much beer as we could drink and uh, and we, and we made good value of it. But I, but I felt convicted about my music collection. And so um, there was a goodbye rock and roll because Jesus is the rock, amen? There was a goodbye to all those things. There was goodbye to my heavy metal, my Black Sabbath, my Pink Floyd, my ACDC, not good for me. And so I got out my fibro cutters and my whole CD collection and I cut every single CD in half. And uh, I'd turn from a headbanger to a worshipper overnight, amen? I began to fill my head and my heart with the things of God. I went to bed for years and years and years. I had worship going 24 hours a day in my ears. And uh, I loved my music at that time. But it just transformed my life. But it took me to make a decisive thing a decisive action. I didn't go through my CDs and say, oh, that was not too bad, or those songs are pretty good, I just won't play those three songs. There was none of that. I just got the whole lot, took it out, family was in shock, and got out my old fibro cutters and crunched up every single one of them. I didn't want to give them to someone else because I realised I weren't going to do them any good either. But it was a burning of the ship and it was a sanctified life that I wanted to live, I didn't watch TV for 10 years. And uh, amazing, amazing thing. So, but enter the contingency plan when we, God calls us to build a business. God calls us to build a church. God calls us to have revival. God calls us to win this whole region for Christ. But we come up with these contingency plans. We say, well, Jeff, we, you got to have wisdom, you know. We need to exercise caution. We need to weigh things up. We need to place a bet each way. And uh, we call it a plan B. If plan A doesn't work, well, plan B is always there. But plan B is always a second option, isn't it? How many times we put a plan in place and we say, well, if that doesn't work, even before we've given anything a go, we say, if that doesn't work. God calls you to build a cattle property. God calls you to do this. But you put in contingency plans all the time. Plan B, I would like to say very bluntly, it destroys plan A from the outset. If you've got a plan b plan a has already been compromised we don't want a second place option and yet we often live plan b options and we often live plan b lives we do it's a second rate sort of, it's a soft option it's an easy option so oh, now well, that plan a was fantastic but i oh i just oh plan b was better you know instrumental to success in your mission mandate and assignment to overcome insurmountable odds, many that you cannot see. As a Christian, a lot of the odds we face, you cannot even see. People who are not Christians don't have those quite odds. Uh, they don't have the devil opposing them. Uh, he joins us. But, uh, but it requires an all-out effort. It requires, uh, it's not a swear word, but you'd think it was. It talks about an uncomprising, uncompromising effort. Amen. If God's got a call or wants you to do something in life, it's going to take an uncompromising effort to see it be fulfilled. Amen? It's not going to take a half hour. It's cutting off all other things for the one thing that God has called you to do. And your, she became their highest producer within about 18 months. But I said in, in starting off, I said, a rocket uh, diffuses an immense amount of power in a short time and then it has liftoff. But if you disperse that same amount of power over a long period of time, it does not have liftoff. So too it is will require with your business. If you immerse yourself into this, live and breathe, and I says, uh, put in an immense amount of power in a short period of time, your business will have liftoff. And sure enough, it skyrocketed, literally. And so... Cutting off the other things, to burn the boats, to burn the ships. No possible means of retreat or to go back. No counter-offer. A lot of people go into business with a counter-offer in mind or with something else coming in from the sidelines. In the early or the, in the late 80s, I went into the insurance business. I went from a carpenter to insurance business in uh, a commission only overnight. And so I went from a really good income... And, uh, which was pretty good in the 80s. And uh, even now, it's, it's, not, it's not too poor. And I went into commission overnight. So I had to learn to develop people skills. I was just a carpenter working on a job site. My people skills were zilch. And uh, we solved everything with a 4B2, really. And, uh, but I developed people skills real quick because otherwise I would have starved. And I went into commission only it was an all-out sort of thing. And I suppose I have a bit of an all-out sort of personality. I like to burn those things, put it in the past, grab hold of my future and begin to run. And you could see there was the success of people like Julius Caesar, great conquerors. I'm not talking about the morality of their campaigns, but I'm just talking their ability to conquer and succeed. But Christ has called us to be more than conquerors in life. And so, to win or perish, victory is not an option, but victory is survival. Eliminating truth, uh, eliminating retreat is an option. But as the crew of, uh, of Cortez watched their fleet of ships burn and sink, they came to terms with the fact that retreat was not an option, not an option. And so, against the insurmountable odds, they went on and uh, took that Aztec empire. So there are moments in life when we need to burn the ships of our past. And I've used this illustration before, that the rear vision mirror on uh, on your front windscreen is actually smaller than the windscreen itself. But for a lot of people, their rear vision mirror is actually larger than their windscreen. In other words, they're always looking back. And I have done that too. In the midnight hour, groaning away, thinking, oh, God, Lord, why did I say that? Why did I do that? Why did I sell it? And when it doubled in value two weeks later, I did that once, sold a house, and within two weeks, the value of the property doubled. Can you imagine that? How many times has that happened to people? All the time. And here we are, we're groaning. We're looking in our rear vision mirror. And it begins to dictate our future. In fact, we throw our past into our future and expect to have a different result. I say tonight, burn those things that are holding you back from what God wants you to do. What has God placed in your heart still to do and to accomplish in life? It requires effort. It requires focus. It requires an an all-out campaign and uh, that you would burn the ships of past failure, past successes, and uh, bad habits, and the Bible calls it sin, burn them, burn them, and uh, the, the uh, burn the old ship named Regret, or my old way of life. And the Bible says, uh, put to death that old way of life, don't just burn it, he says, put it to death. And so, Alexander the Great was another guy, an empire builder, and the height of his uh, empire, it stretched from basically Europe right through to, the, to, to India. And uh, in 334, he embarked probably on his most ambitious campaign earlier in his career, and he crossed the Dardanelles Straits, another, another waterway, and he approached there with all his Greek and Macedonian ships. And once again, Alexander, he did the same thing, He burned the ships, he burned the ships and he says if we want to get home we'll have to use the enemy's ships. Cortez did exactly the same thing and so uh, I recall reading another story of a Chinese general, he not only burnt the ships but he said "Men, cook yourself three days of food and he says after you've done that I want you to to destroy all your cooking implements and then we're going to go and defeat the enemy. You see what happens is they put an end to the past, they cut off. They said retreat is not possible and we have to win to succeed. God has called us to win, amen. God has to be called us to be more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. And you think, well, are there any modern day biblical examples of such a radical way of living? And there are plenty. I recall I've got a fantastic, several books at home by John G. Lake. Who's heard of John G. Lake here? Fantastic, uh, one of God's generals. And uh, he was involved around the time of the Azusa Street Revival and when things were happening and hotting up, there was 10 years of revival from 1906 to about 1916. His ministry uh, increased, and, and, uh, but he was a wealthy businessman, John G. Lake. In fact, he had his own insurance company, And he knew he was called to a life of faith and he knew he was called to a healing ministry and he was called to Africa and he knew he was to live by faith and to demonstrate that he the wealthy man five children and a wife sold everything that he had he was called to Africa to be a missionary there and he did an amazing job but he didn't even retain enough money for the rail ticket to get himself to the waterway, to the boat, let alone the boat passage. He went to the railway ticket office with not a, hardly a cent in his pocket. And by the time he got to the ticket office, at the and he, and he got the money while waiting in line praying, and he was getting closer and closer to the ticket office, and all of a sudden, out of the blue, somebody put some money in his pocket and that he was able to pay for the ticket to get to the boat. Once again, he's approaching the boat ticket office to pay for uh, 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 the, uh, the boat fare for him and five children and his wife to go to Africa from Chicago. Once again, hardly a cent in his pocket, standing in line to buy his tickets, getting closer and closer to the person who was to sell the tickets to him still no money, still no money, and then only a few feet from the from the ticket office, somebody picked him out of the line and put a whole wad of cash in his pocket. He arrived in Africa. Amazing, isn't it? Gave away all that he had. It was a burn the ship's mentality and he says, I'm going to live by faith, amen? And many people who have lived lives of faith have done exactly the same thing. John G. Lake arrived in Africa and uh, by the first night that he arrived in Africa, he was personally welcomed and in Cape Town and given a house for him and his family to stay. Amazing. That's how he started his ministry. Is it no wonder that, that his whole ministry is synonymous with signs and wonders and miracles? Is there any other scriptural evidence for such a radical way to live? I'd like to go to 1 Kings chapter 19 before I close. And this is after Elijah was hiding in the cave, very full of fear after his life was threatened by Jezebel. And then uh, God gave him an assignment to uh, anoint two more kings and also to anoint the prophet that, who was to follow in his steps, who, of course, we know was Elisha. And so he departed from there in verse 19 and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was ploughing with 12 yoke of oxen before him. So there's a great thing. Ploughing speaks of praying in the New Testament. So here we can find that somebody who was already on the move somebody who is already working, and I have found that God always calls busy people. He very, very rarely uh, uh, empowers people who are idle, and so here is a, Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him, and he was with the 12th, and Elijah passed by him and threw his mantle on him, which, mean that, which means that the anointing that was on Elijah would now be passed to Elisha. When you wear somebody's mantle, it means that you wear their anointing. He left the oxen oxen and ran after Elijah and said, please let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said, go back again for what I have done to you. So Elisha turned back from him and took a yoke of oxen, and he slaughtered them and boiled their flesh using the oxen's equipment, and he gave it to the people and they ate. Then he arose and followed to Elijah, and he became his servant. And so you can see here that Elisha, he destroyed, as a sacrificial offering, he burnt his plough and sacrificed the oxen. To have 12 yoke, that's 24 oxen, that is a huge amount. He was obviously a very wealthy man, but he basically burnt all the implements of, uh, of future income, And that day, Elisha the farmer became Elisha the prophet and he basically burnt his ships to the watermark and went on with God. Doesn't doesn't that invigorate? You all look so invigorated. Can I get an hallelujah here? Is anybody breathing out there? Just let me know. So, isn't it fantastic though? It was his last supper. It was his last goodbye to his old life. He threw parties for his friends They shared a meal, they shared their stories to the early hours of the morning, they had a bonfire, they had a party, and then he went off, he cut off his old life, sacrificed his oxen, burned all his equipment, no longer the wealthy man, but he was rich in God. And so, who would like to be someone like that today? To sell all, I have decided to follow Jesus. If God's called you to, to a business, well, then he wants you to prosper. But it's going, to atta- it's going to take a focus. And uh, much of what we now accomplish in the future is determined what we cut off from the past. So if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. They're burnt down. All things have become new. This is, the NIV says the old is gone, the new has come. Putting off those things. And so uh, I'll just finish then with uh, Colossians, I think it is. Colossians 3, if I can find it. Colossians chapter 3, and uh, I'll read there from 1 to 11 there. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on the things of the earth, for you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. See that? We died, our lives were basically burned up and our life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is our life appears, then you will also appear with him. Uh, Therefore, put to death your members which are on, on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. In other words, put your fibrocutters through all those things. Cut them off, cut them out of your life, destroy them. Have no, be no partakers with those things. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them, but now you yourselves are put off these things, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. In other words, burn the ships of those things, burn them, and do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds. It's the same thing. The old man is burnt like those old ships and put on the new man. That's your future, which is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jews, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Isn't it a great message to round that off? So burn the plough, do it now. You could call that message, burn the plough, do it now. You could call it burn the ships. And so in conclusion, Esther said, if I die, I die. She counted the cost. She realized that her life was hidden with Christ in God. Jesus said, for this cause I have come into this world. Plan A carried out. Jesus had no plan B. There was no contingency plan. If Jules could come to the keys for me just now. There was no safe option for Jesus. And he gave his life so that abundant life for you and I would be realized. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, I bring this word, Father, to you today and to the people. I pray that the Spirit of God, Father, rest upon this word and seal it, Father God, for the day and the hour in which we live. Father, that we are to burn the ships, Father, of our own life. Father, that plan B, Father, sometimes is a great compromise to the great victory that you would have. When we adopt plan A, the very, very first thing, the first direction, the first instruction that we receive from you, Father, does not need altering, but it needs a tenacity. It needs an iron will. It needs praying over. It needs fasting over. It needs the presence of God to dwell and to brood over. But I pray, Lord, that we are called to be more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. I thank you, Lord, that you have not called us to a life of compromise, but, Father, that we would sell out, Father God, the cross, Father God, before me, the world be behind me, no turning back, no turning back in Jesus' name.